Amen. Man, it is uh, great to see you this morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Can you believe it's here? 2020. Man, who thought that would ever ever get here, right? And it was, uh, it's great to see all of you. It's great to see, I mean, it's great, to, I don't know where she went, Carly, having Carly back with us, wasn't that awesome? It's always fun when our college students come home and share with us, and, and before I forget, I, I, we never intend to embarrass anyone, but in case I don't get to see them, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Stroud, happy anniversary. <laughs> how, how many years is today? 57 years. Yes. I always remember because it's my mom's birthday today. So, um, but 57 years, that is something that we cherish here. Uh, something that, that we, you know, we just want to model after that because um, what a special couple and happy anniversary. We're just so grateful uh, that you're here. So thank you. Um, God is doing great things. And um, man, uh, uh, it, it's a new year. How, many, how are you doing on the New Year's resolutions? Anybody already have a New Year's resolution failure? Anybody? Anybody else fail already? That's okay, because here's the good news, is God takes failures and he does good things with them, right? And so um, we're glad that you're here. I believe that God has great things in store for his church in 2020. Uh, he did amazing things here in his church in 2019. Man, so many. I know we, we took time last week um, as we met in the gym to just talk about some of the great things God had done over the last year, but really looking forward to what God has in store for us, what he wants to do in his church this year in 2020. And, and so I'm excited to see what God is going to do in, in this new year. Uh, and I truly believe that God has even greater things uh, to come. So just before the holidays, we spent some time uh, hearing from Jesus. We did a series called Dear Church, and we were looking at letters that Jesus had written to seven churches that were in Asia. Last year, one of the great things, my wife and I got to travel and actually got to go to those places to see the places where, where early Christians were sharing their faith. And it was just just mind-blowing. Um, but, but as we went through that series, each week, um, I, I kept asking the question, what, if, if Jesus wrote a letter to us, Newberry Park First Christian Church, if, if Jesus wrote a letter to us today, what would that look like? I mean, what would Jesus say to Newberry Park First Christian Church? And so kind of over, over the holidays, um, I took some time to really reflect on that. And, and I really was asking the question, like, like Jesus, what, what would you say to your church here in Newberry Park, Newberry Park First Christian Church in, in this new year? What, what do you have for us? What, do you, what would you say? How would you encourage us? Because we knew every church got some encouragement. And then, and then how would you exhort us? What, what are places where you say, this is, this is what you need to do? Um, and, and so as I thought about that, I, I think that, that what Jesus would say to us, Newberry Park First Christian Church, um, would be something like this. I, I think that Jesus would encourage us and he would say, uh, Newberry Park First Christian Church, I, I see your compassion for others. I, I see the way that you're busy feeding people who are hungry. I, I was at Five Loaves yesterday. What, a, what an amazing ministry is as people come and, and really literally are fed um, by, by God's people in, in amazing ways. And not just getting food, but being prayed for and, and building relationships with people is just amazing. Um, and then I think Jesus would say, I see your compassion for, for the ones who are 
even in jail. I mean, we have a jail ministry and people that go there on a regular basis. Uh, I, I see your compassion as you, as you build homes for the homeless people and as you even build orphanages for those who, who are lost, for the orphans in our world. I see your generosity that, that would even build a medical clinic in Liberia, a library in Austria, and supports missionaries around the world. I see you opening your doors to, to your community so that, so that people can come and use the facility that we've been blessed with. And, and I think God would look at us and say, all of those things are, are amazing. These are, these are good things. But if there was one area that I feel like the Holy Spirit has really been convicting me in and has been touching my heart in, it, it's, it's this. I think he would say to us as a church, he says, but one thing to work on is this is to taking the life-saving story of salvation through Jesus Christ to the people who are lost in your community, the people right next door. Helping people who are not believers come to finding hope in Jesus Christ, to see people not only be served, encouraged, and fed, but to see people be saved. And I truly believe that that's what God is saying to us. And, and I know for some of you, as we talk about what it looks like to help people get saved, there, there's some of you in the room, maybe you've come here the, the first of the year and you've said, okay, I'm going to go to church this year or something. Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you're kind of new to faith and you're sitting back looking at this and going, see, I knew it. They just plan on how they can get other people in, right? And, and to those of you, I, I say you're here at a really great week. And here's what I would say is... Um, Absolutely, we, we want people to come to know Jesus, and you know why? Because we really believe this. We, we really do believe that faith in Jesus Christ is not only true, it works. We believe this faith works, and, and it works for us, and we want it to work for you, because we believe that following Jesus Christ is quite simply the best way to do life. And so we want to share, I mean, what kind of people would we be if we found the greatest treasure in all the world, but then we kept it to ourselves? And so we want everyone to know about this amazing news that Jesus Christ saves. I believe the Holy Spirit is poised to unleash his saving grace in our community in a powerful way. But as I read through scripture, there's one thing that always happens. There's one way that, that, that God does that. He has a plan and, 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 and what I, I look at the beginnings of the church and what Jesus did was every time the, the gospel was shared, it was done through people. And so if the Holy Spirit is poised and ready to go, there's one thing he might be waiting on, and that would be us. He'd be waiting for us to actually go, waiting for us to actually move, waiting for us to partner with him to complete the mission that he has planned for us. You see, the crazy thing about God's rescue plan was not that just that Jesus, the Son of God, okay, was born in a stable in Bethlehem. It, it was not that our Savior was killed and then three days later was raised from the dead. The craziest part of the plan, uh, God's rescue plan for the world is this, is that his plan was to use you and me to get the message out. That, that's the craziest part of the plan. I mean, look at Jesus' last words on earth. Okay? In Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said this to the disciples that had gathered around him. He said this, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And as he said this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes, in a cloud, hid them from their sight. Now, if you were one of the followers of Jesus, okay, Jesus had been crucified, then he's resurrected, and then he's standing in front of you, and all of a sudden he starts to just like ascend. He starts to float away, right? And he says, hey, look, you're going to be filled with power, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to be my witnesses, and then Jesus starts to float away. What, what would go through your mind? I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what would go through my mind if I was one of them? I'd be going, whoa, 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 wait, hey, Jesus, why aren't you going to take us with you? I mean, you conquered death already. You were resurrected. Why aren't you taking us with you? Like, why would you leave us behind? I, I mean, I wonder what the angels thought. The angels that were there, the, you know, as he was ascending, I, I wonder what the angels thought. I wonder if the angels ever looked at Jesus and said, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, are, are, are you sure about this? Are, are you sure you're going to leave the, the plan in their hands? Because after all, aren't they the ones that got us into the mess in the first place? I mean, isn't there a plan B? And, and I think I would agree with the angels. I mean, what do you think Jesus left us here to do? Because think about it, after he'd conquered death, why wouldn't he just gathered everybody up and said, come on, let's go, let's get out of here, right? But he didn't. He left his people here, and what did he leave us here to do? I mean, do you think that Jesus just left us here so we could, like, I don't know, kind of just make our way, have a good life, maybe, maybe get an education, I don't know, find a good job, collect a nice paycheck, make a nice life for you and your family, contribute to society, um, well, I mean, and while there's nothing wrong with this, I think that God's plan for us, God's purpose for leaving us here, God's purpose for us in the world as followers of Christ, I think it's much bigger than all of that. I, I think our main purpose, the reason why Jesus has us here, is to glorify God and live as witnesses of the gospel, God's rescue mission on earth. That's why we're here. We, we find our mission statement in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, we, we also get our church mission statement uh, from that. Our church mission statement is to be fully devoted followers of Christ who seek and save the lost. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, that means everywhere, has been given to me. Therefore, go. Okay. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, this passage has come to be known as the Great Commission, right? Um, I, I, how many of you like um, kind of like war movies, like, you know, like the things like that? I, I, I'm just kind of letting you know a little bit about me. Yeah, yeah. I love to watch those. Before they go on a mission, what do they do? They get everybody in the room, right? They gather up all the guys in the room and say, here is our mission, right? This is what we're after. This is, this is what we're doing. This is, Jesus gathers the disciples together. It's kind of like briefing time, right? And he says, hey, guys, this is what we're up to. He says, you're going to go into all the world, and you're going to make disciples. You're going to baptize them. You're going to bring everybody in. And basically, the, what, what we've said here at Newberry Park First Christian Church, the, the kind of pared down statement that we have, you're going to help people find and follow Jesus. That, that's the goal, to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the goal. That's, folks, that's what we're here for. 
All the other stuff in life pales in comparison to the fact that we are here to help people find and follow Jesus. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with the passage. I think the mission is clear, right? I mean, does anyone, anyone think the mission's unclear? The mission's pretty clear, right? But while the mission is clear, the reality is, is um, research tells us this. 80% of Christians, people who go to church regularly, 80% of them say that they have never shared their faith with a non-believer. 80%. 80% have never shared their faith with a non-believer. But the mission is clear. We're supposed to go and we're supposed to help make disciples. We're supposed to be, be about this mission, right? But 80% of people say, hey, they've never shared their faith with a non-believer. The truth is, most of us struggle in sharing our faith. How many of you would agree you struggle a bit with sharing your faith? Let's all just kind of be honest together this morning, okay? Okay, very good. Okay, we struggle with this. Why? Why do we struggle? I think the main reason is fear. I think the first thing is we're afraid, we're afraid of being rejected. I know, I, look, I, I'm a pastor, and, and every time I get the opportunity, I'm, I'm still afraid that somebody might look at me and think I'm weird, right? So I, I'm afraid sometimes they're just going to look at me and go like, you know, oh, he's just a pastor, he has to say that stuff, or, or, or might be like, you know, that guy's crazy, right? He's some Bible-thumping crazy guy, I don't know. And I, we're all afraid of rejection, right? Or maybe it's that we're afraid that we don't have all the right answers, let me, let, me, let me dispel something for you. You could have all the right answers and a person still might choose not to follow Jesus. You could answer all their questions, but it's not about getting their, all their questions answered. When, when it comes to a relationship, do you, do you get into a relationship with somebody because you got all your questions answered? I mean, I didn't have a checklist and walk up to Brenda and say like, hey, uh, just answer me a few questions before we start going out. That's not how it worked, right? It wasn't because I got all my questions answered. If we're getting into a relationship, it's about just connecting with somebody and, and, and just developing and having time with that person and spending time with them and developing a relationship with them. So it's not about having all the right answers, but we're afraid that we're just going to say something wrong. We're afraid we're going to botch it up. Now, maybe it's because we, we, we've gone to two extremes when we think of sharing our faith, when we think of like evangelism, right? The scary word. Because we've seen the two different sides of this. We've seen people like Billy Graham, right? He fills a stadium full of people. And then they sing a song and everybody in the whole stadium comes forward. You're just like, what in the world? I can't do that, right? So we're like, you know, leave it to the, leave it to the professionals. Leave it to Billy Graham. Leave it to the pastors of the church. You know, let them do it, right? Some of us kind of think of it that way. Then on the other extreme, we see like, you know, we go to, go to the football game or baseball game somewhere, or you go to some big event and you see a guy out on the street corner, he's got a big sign that says, turn or burn, right? And you're like, well, I don't want to be that guy. And let me tell you something this morning, I don't want to be like that guy either. And so we're, it's the extremes of like, I can't be a Billy Graham. I don't want to be like that guy. What is my place in all of this? I just don't, I just don't understand. And, and so many of us just instead of like in, engaging, we, shriek, we, we kind of shirk back. We kind of say, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything in this for me. Maybe this isn't for me. Or maybe you tried it once before and it, it felt awkward. Maybe you feel like you failed and so you gave up. See, I mean, that, but that's not, a, that's not really a good excuse. How, how many of you, the first time you tried anything, you just nailed it, right? How many of you, the first time you ever rode a bike, like, didn't crash at all? Like, man, our, our knees and our elbows are filled with scratches because when we learn something, we're not always great at it right away, right? Now, 
Um, I'm going to ask you something here, and and, and this isn't for purposes of feeling guilty. It's just to kind of gauge ourselves in where we're at, okay? Especially gauge ourselves as a church family. What is your faith-sharing temperature right now, okay? If if we were to to go from 1 to 10, okay, um, if you've got your notes, it's in there, 1 to 10. um, 1 being you, you really never share your faith with, with other people. And remember, 80% of people who attend church regularly say that they've, they've never shared their faith with somebody. So maybe that's where you're at. You're, you're a number one, okay? And then maybe there's five. Occasionally, you share your faith with somebody, you, usually because somebody else initiated. Maybe they asked you a question, and then you, and then you share something. Or maybe you're a eight, nine, or 10. 10 means that you are just always looking for a place to, to get Jesus in the conversation. You are, you're all about sharing your faith. You're all about like being ready to share the gospel with somebody. Like where, where, think about it for just a second. Where, where are you on the faith thing? And don't worry, wherever you are, it's okay. We're not here to make anyone feel guilty. Guilt, guilt is a horrible motivator. We don't want you to feel guilty about it. But um, how many of you would say you're at, um, you're at probably a five or less? Any, how many, uh, this audience participation, five or less. How many of you are at five or less? Raise your hands high. Be, it's okay. We're all in this together, right? All right. How many of you would say then that you're a six or above? Any six or above? Okay, we got a few people. Got a few people who are there. Okay, the majority of us tend to be on that lower side of the scale, right? And, and, and I was thinking, like, why in the world is that? And why is it that that we aren't out doing that? Now, why are we so afraid sometimes? And here's here's what I've come to believe: is this the devil knows that this is God's plan. That the way that God is going to get the message out there is by us sharing the message with other people. And so he is going to work his hardest to make sure you and I feel like we can't do it, we'll be rejected, we're failures, there's nothing that we can do, we're going to do it wrong. He's going to throw all of that junk at us to try to prohibit us or to try to stop us from sharing. Why? Because he knows that the power to help people come to Jesus is through us sharing the message. And so he's going to work overtime to make us feel inadequate. He's going to work overtime to make sure that he'll throw the wrench in the cog every single time so that we don't participate. Now, as I was thinking about this idea of faith sharing, uh, I was introduced to a book um, by a pastor. Uh, His name is Lon Allison, and he wrote a book called Possible. And it's all about living um, living a faith sharing life. Okay, and, and I love this book. It's really good. He worked with the Billy Graham Association for a while and things like that. But he has a definition of faith sharing that, that I think really resonates with me. Okay, and I want to share it with you. Um, and, and here's the definition. He says, um, to share our faith is to partner with God and others to lovingly bring people one step closer to Christ. I'm going to read that again. To share our faith is to partner with God and others to lovingly bring people one step closer to Christ. Now, I want you guys to read this with me out loud, okay? Ready? Ready to do this? Okay. To share our faith is to partner with God and others to lovingly bring people one step closer to Christ. I love this definition, okay? Because we're partnering with God. 
And we're partnering with each other. And what's the purpose? So that we will lovingly, and, and I mean, that's not the guy on the sign, Turner Burn, right? It's like we're lovingly trying to bring people one step, just one step closer to Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to unpack this definition just a little bit. See, first of all, is we're going to partner with God in this whole mission. God has always wanted to partner with us, always. Uh, as, uh, I don't know where you're at, in, in, you know, in, in your, you know, what you're doing this year to, to be in God's word. I hope you are. If you need a Bible, take one with you. Um, this year, I'm, I'm kind of back on a different reading plan, so, you know, I'm kind of reading a chapter a day, and, you know, we start off in, in Genesis, and one of the things I'm learning in Genesis is that God has always wanted to partner with you and me, Okay. God creates everything, and then he takes man, and he puts him in the garden. Okay, this is like paradise. God takes the man, and he puts him in the garden, and you know what doesn't happen? Man doesn't just lay in a hammock and have, like, creatures come up and just drop grapes in his mouth all day. That's not what happens, okay? It says God took the man, and he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. He's, we're supposed to partner with God in his creation to work it and take care of it, right? We're supposed to carry on the things that God has created. We're supposed to partner with God in that way. And, and so God's always wanted us to be a partners with him in creation. Now, sin happened, right? We know about that horrible story. When sin happened, though, it totally messed up the work thing. And what happened for man is now he's not, he's not just there to like partner with God in, in the garden. It says, nope, because of sin, man's new job is pulling weeds, right? How many of you hate to pull weeds? How many of you as a kid, your parents ever said, get out there and pull the weeds, right? And you're just like, no, anything but pull the weeds, right? I just don't want to pull weeds. When sin entered the world, God even looked at the man and says, you know what, because of this, because you did this thing, he says, then the, the uh, world, the earth is going to produce weeds and thorns and stuff, and you're going to have to pick all that, you're going to have to deal with the weeds, right? And you're like, no, like anything but the weeds, right? Well, that's what happened because of sin. Now, Jesus comes, he gives his life for us, he's death, resurrected, and then we put our faith in him, and what happens the Bible says when we put our faith in Jesus, we became a new creation. And in the new creation, there's a new job to partner with God in. In the new creation, now I get to partner with God again. Okay, And the new partnering with God is to take the message of salvation, this God's rescue mission, and to help share the gospel, the good news of God's love, with other people and to bring people to help them find and follow Jesus. That's what we get to do. But you know what most of us do? Most of us end up listening to the lies of the devil, and we're still over here just picking the weeds of life. I'm just going to work. Oh, man, I'm just going to school. Oh, man, I'm just kind of trying to survive over here. Oh, man, I'm dealing with all these issues. Man, I'm de dealing with all this stuff. We're just messing with the weeds, and God's going, no. He's inviting us in to tend the garden of faith in the world and to help people find and follow Jesus. And he's saying, hey, forget the weed stuff. That's not your most important gig. Your most important thing is helping people find and follow Jesus. Why did God give you the job he gave you? You want, you want to know why I believe it is? Because there's people at your workplace that need to know Jesus. It's not just to get your paycheck. Do you know why God puts you, has you living in the neighborhood that he's got you living in? You know why? 
It's not because that was the only place you could afford. <laughs> it wasn't because that was the best house for you. It wasn't because, you know, it was because there are people on your block that need to know Jesus. Do you know why, students, that God's put you in some of those classes? Because there's people in those classes, okay, that need to know Jesus. Folks, that is our main mission. Our main mission isn't just like kind of eke out an existence here in life. Our life is to be lived to the fullest. And Jesus says, if you're going to live life to the fullest, it means you partner with God in his plan of salvation for the rest of the world. Why? Because this life is short and the rest of eternity is going to be pretty awesome. And we want other people to join us in that. God has always wanted to partner with us. Now, one of the things that the devil will tell you all the time is this. He will make you think you're all alone. Ugh, I hate that about him. I hate that about the devil. The first thing he will do in your life is he will try to isolate you and make you feel like you're alone. You're the only one, right? He'll try to make you think, like, even when it comes to faith sharing, when it comes to faith sharing, the devil will try to convince you, like, hey, you know, Jesus went back to heaven and just said, hey, you know what, you take care of this, you know, sharing your faith thing. When you get that all taken care of, then I'll come back and get everybody, right? That's not how it works. Jesus didn't just leave us alone. In fact, when you share your faith, you are never alone because you're partnering with God. You are never alone when it comes to sharing your faith. In, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage, right, a lot of times we focus on the going and making disciples and baptizing people and all this other stuff, right? What we forget is the, the, probably the most important part in that passage is the last line, where he says in verse 20, surely I am with you when? Always. Even to the very end of the age. Jesus is with you always. Now, when people come uh, to us here at church or when I'm meeting people on the, and, and life is tough. And I mean, and life has beat us up and, and we're just feeling alone or feeling whatever. I, I go to this verse all the time and say, look, God is with you always. That's, that's his promise for us, right? But, but one of the things we need to understand is if we really read this verse in context, he's talking to people who are believers and believers who he has just sent on a mission. He, in, in the context of this verse, Jesus is saying, you are never more partnering with God. You are, you are never alone when you are sharing the gospel. Because when you share the gospel, God always shows up. Every single time. Never, ever, ever allow the evil one to make you think that you are on your own or you're just doing this by yourself. You are never alone. I mean, look what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, before, before it says that we will be witnesses to all the world, what does it say? It says, you will receive power when? When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay? He basically, he's saying, hey, look, the power to do the witnessing is because the Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone doing this. You don't even have to come up with this. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. That, that You know what? You can't blow this. If you make the effort to partner with God, you, guys, you can't blow this. Why? Because God is with us and God is helping us. God does not expect us to do this in our own power. In fact, we can't, but the Holy Spirit who lives in us, will empower us if we will just make the move. Quit listening to the lies of the evil one and make a move to go and share our faith with other people. Now, 
There's the other part of this partnering with God is it is not all on us, okay? Conversion, helping somebody come to faith in Christ, is not your responsibility. In, in John chapter 6, verse 44, this passage says this. It says, no one can come to me. This is Jesus talking, okay? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Did you hear that? I mean, you might partner, you might share the message, but nobody actually comes to faith in Jesus unless the Father draws them. As I was studying this passage, what was interesting is that word draws, okay? It's the same word that's used when Peter and John and the other guys, they're out on their fishing boat, right? And they throw their net out, and they're pulling the net in. They're drawing the fish in, right? And, and so, do you know what God is doing right now? Anybody know what God's up to right now, right this minute? Okay, Bes I, yeah, besides letting us breathe and all that stuff. What's God up to? Did you know that God is busy drawing people towards himself? He's drawing people towards Jesus. That's what he's about right now. That is the most important thing that God is doing right now. If God had a, this is the most important on his to-do list, okay? I mean, he already made it so the world's just gonna keep spinning, and so the oxygen's gonna keep flowing so that we can all live. But do you know what's number one on God's list of stuff? It's helping people come to Jesus. Why? Because he loves them and he wants to spend eternity with them. So faith sharing is simply partnering in what God is already doing. Now, there's another thing that I truly believe about partnering with God. Number is this. Um, this came out of the, that book by Lon Allison. It says, people are seeking God. Because God is seeking people. Do you hear that? People are seeking God because God is seeking people. Before you ever get there, God is actively seeking people. You know how we know this? Number one, it was Jesus' mission was to seek people. In Luke 19.10, Jesus' mission statement was this. He says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to what? Seek and to save the lost. Okay. Jesus came for that very purpose to seek and save love. Now, do you think that when Jesus died and then was resurrected and went back to heaven that he was just like, okay, mission accomplished, I'm done? No, his mission is still the same as it ever was. It's seeking people, okay, seeking and saving the lost. He's just asking us now to partner with him. He's saying he wants us to be involved. Jesus' mission is still to seek and save lost people, and he's invited you and me to be part of the process. Now, Jesus is doing all kinds of other things to help pe draw people to himself, okay? One of the things is he's making himself known to people, okay? Now, now how does that work? Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this. It says, what may be known about God is plain to them, that's people in the world, Okay? Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You know what that verse tells us? It says that before we ever get there to share our faith, God has been laying the groundwork revealing himself. Okay, it says God has been making his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, all that stuff he's been making it known to people. How's he been doing that? Mostly through creation. 
I think he's been doing it through the way that he created things. He's, he's been doing it through circumstances, through history. We look back and we go, wow, look at what God has been doing. Then through science, yes, even science. God uses science to show us more about himself because every time we discover a truth about the world, we're really discovering a truth about God and about who he is. God has placed evidence, clues about himself all over the place. And why? It says right there, so that people are without excuse. He said, God is basically saying, look, unless they just choose to ignore me altogether, I have put enough evidence out there in the world so that people will really want to like, be attracted to me. That they'll realize that I'm there, that I exist, and that I love them. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. One of the biggest uh, mistakes that we ever make is believing that people aren't interested or don't want to hear about our faith. But, but before we get there, like I said in Romans, God is busy revealing himself. We're simply cooperating with God. Now, our world gives us the impression that people aren't interested. Okay? In fact, many of us feel like the world that, that we're living in wants nothing to do with our faith, or we start thinking that faith sharing is intrusive into people's lives, it's, it's unacceptable, that you're going to offend people. Folks, if, if that's the voice you're hearing, it's the voice of the evil one, because he knows the power that, that the gospel has to change lives. He just doesn't want us sharing it. When we assume that people don't want to hear, we're factoring out one major thing. And what is that? We're factoring out the fact that God is already at work doing it. Okay? Studies tell us this. That 78% of unchurched people, okay, people that don't go to church at all, 78% of them said that they would listen to somebody if they would share their faith with them. 82% said that they would attend a church service if a friend invited them. I mean, hear that, folks. This is important. 82% said they would show up at a church service if a friend invited them. What's crazy is 80% of people who go to church regularly are, are saying they've never shared their faith. They've never invited anybody. And 82% of the people out there are going, if someone would just invite me, I would show up. What's the disconnect? The devil has duped us into thinking that we can't do this. The devil has duped us and guilted us and made us feel afraid to do this. Why? Because he knows what God's plan is. He's going to do everything he can to disrupt it. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to stick it to him. Right? Because there are people out there that need to know the love and the grace of Jesus. See, folks, before you share anything, God's already at work. When you believe that God is already at work, you will discover that people are more open to spiritual conversations than you, had, than you ever thought. That they're actually open to invitation, that they, they want to be invited in. And when you share faith about Jesus with other people, God's Holy Spirit will be empowering you. He's working with you. Why? We're partnering. We're not on our own. He'll be partnering with you and giving you the words to say. And after you share your faith, God will there be working. He'll be taking that seed that you've been planted, and he's going to work it in the life and in the heart of that person. 
I mean, what an awesome thing to imagine that the God of all creation, the God who saved us, is allowing us to partner with him in his search and rescue efforts. He says, man, I have got you strategically placed right where I want you to help other people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've done that because I love you and because I love other people. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. God wants this more than we do, right? That's why he sent his son to die for us. And if we're partnering with him, don't you think that he's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting? He just wants us to engage. When we share our faith, we're partnering with him. Now, we're not only partnering with God, we're partnering with others as well. Now, one of the things about that that I think is definitely true is this. God typically uses more than one person to help people come to Jesus. Okay? God typically uses more than one person. Um, uh, what, what I'd love for you to do, um, maybe today, maybe, maybe this afternoon, is sit down and, and write out all the different people that were part of the process to bring you to faith in Jesus. Right? I, I mean, a lot of times we think, oh man, I've got to do it all myself. The reality is that for most people, there's easily seven to ten people that are involved in the process of helping bring somebody to Christ. I know that was true with me. Man, it took a whole army of people, okay, to, to, to help my faith get developed, right? I mean, I think God looked down at me and went, oh my gosh, that Ken guy, I don't know what we're going to, I don't know, that, that, that kid, he's just, he's going to, he's got too much energy, he's going to go crazy, I don't know. He's, and so God just surrounded me. He surrounded me with a bunch of people who, you know, when I would get in trouble, one of them would kick me back in, right? And then I'd get in trouble over here and God would guide me here and guide me there. And I thank God for every single one of them. And I'm sure that there's a few of even those people along the way who thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what's ever going to happen to that kid, you know? I don't know if he's ever going to come to faith in Jesus, you know? I don't know what's going to happen in his life. But you know what? I am thankful for every single one of them. Because along the way, every single one of them played a part. I believe it honestly takes a village to help people come to Jesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians, there was a situation going on in the early church where people were starting to kind of like, they're kind of bragging about like who brought them to faith, who baptized them and all this other stuff, right? And there were some famous, you know, apostles, you know, Paul and Peter, and there was this guy, Apollos, and they, they were believers in Christ who were preaching the gospel, and, and so this situation arose, and, and listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are only servants through whom you came to believe, right? They were the vehicle, okay, that shared the message. As the Lord had assigned to each his task, God's got a task for every one of us. He says, I planted this, Paul speaking, Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow, right? So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes everything grow. God says, look, I need all of you. You have no idea which part you're going to play in somebody's faith process. But God, that's why God needs all of us. I mean, if you're a follower of Christ right now, I'm sure it probably took several people. Now, maybe you're the exception. Maybe it was like one person sharing one time, and you're just like fell to your knees, and you're like, I need Jesus, right? Maybe that was you. If so, that's great. It's awesome. Praise God for that. But that's not normal. Normal is it probably takes 
seven to ten people sharing the gospel. Most people figure it usually takes about three times for us hearing the gospel message before it actually resonates in our life. And we go, I need that, right? And you have no idea which part in that process in any one person's life that you play. Hey? I mean, your part, who knows what your part is? I mean, now, and, and if you look at your list of people as you kind of list names, how many of those people were like pastors? Maybe one, maybe none, I don't know. Folks, God needs all of us to engage in this process because he wants all people to come to salvation. Now, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, Jesus is talking about this, this process and, and this process of going out and helping people come to Jesus. And it says this, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Then listen to this, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, okay, he's looking at his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Did you notice that? What, what, what's happening in the fields? Okay, the fields, the harvest is plentiful. In, in the book of John, where, where he shares the same story, he says the fields are white unto harvest. Okay. It says, the, the, the harvest is ready, but what's the problem? There's not enough workers. Folks, it's not a readiness problem for people. It's a worker problem. It's a worker issue. We don't have enough people doing the work. See, faith sharing is believing that God is already working, and me saying yes to partnering with him, and others, partnering with others, to help people get one step closer to faith in Jesus. It's not that people aren't interested. It's not that people don't want to be invited. It's not that people aren't ready. They are. It's the fact that we need to get more, out, more people out sharing the message. Uh, I don't know if, I, if I've shared this story or not in here. I know I've shared it lots of times in my life, but when we were kids growing up, one of our favorite Saturday morning things was uh, to watch cartoons, Right? And uh, I don't even know what the cartoons are today. Um, I know we watch Octonauts with my grandkids. Okay, so, um, but when we would come out in the morning, there was always one problem. My brother Jim would always wake up earlier than the rest of us. Okay, and so we would walk out and Jim was already monopolizing the, the one TV set that we had. And so he was watching his cartoon and me and my brother, we didn't want to watch what he wanted to watch. We wanted to watch Speed Racer right? Now I'm dating myself a little bit, but we wanted to watch Speed Racer, and he was watching something else. So you know what we would do? We concocted the scheme, and we'd tell my brother Jim, we'd say, hey Jim, let's play hide and go seek. You go hide, and we'll come find you. And then we'd start counting. One, two. Jim was all in, and he would run off, and he would hide. We found him, he was such a good hider. One time, we found him asleep in the closet, okay? He'd go, and he'd run off, and he'd start hiding, and you know what we would do? Turn the channel, and we'd sit down and watch the cartoon that we wanted to, right? And then every once in a while, he'd come back and go, you guys, you know, and we'd get in trouble. Yeah, we were bad kids. Jesus needed to save me, okay? So, but when I think about that, I think this is a lot about what's going on in life. There are people out there that are just waiting to be found. But a bunch of us, we're busy watching the cartoons. We're busy picking the weeds. 
and not engaging with what God has called us to, which is to share the message of faith with other people. I believe that people want to be found. What they really need is for us to be looking. See, I also believe not only we partner with God or partner with others, it's, it's a one step at a time thing. This is what I love about this, okay? Most of us think that we failed if we go and we kind of put ourselves out there, if we share our faith in Jesus and somebody doesn't go, I need Jesus right now, and they get converted on the spot, right? Most of us think, oh, man, I messed that one up. I didn't do it right. They didn't come to Jesus right then. No, what you got to understand is this. Because it takes multiple times and multiple people, any time that you share your faith with somebody, any time you move a person from like a negative 10 to a negative 9, Right? Anytime you move them one, just one step closer to Jesus, even if you take the most hardened atheist who says, I don't even believe they're God, if you get that person to, you know, from negative 10, I don't believe in God at all, to negative 9 where they're going, huh, I wonder if there is one. You've done a good job. You're part of the process. Okay? And God can work with that. It's, it's not your job to do it all. Okay, you've got to remember that we're partnering with God and with other people to do this. And we're just trying to move people one step at a time. You don't have to feel guilty because you didn't do it all. God just wants us to engage in the process. And over the next couple of weeks, our, our plan, our hope is that, that, that we're going to give you some tools and some things that are going to help you engage in this process and be part of helping partner with God and partner with other people to bring people just one step closer to faith in Jesus. Now, folks, you need to know, we were saved by God for this purpose. Okay, I mean, we were made to partner with God in this mission. Now, I want you to think back to the kind of beginning of the message when I asked you this. What was your, what was your faith sharing temperature? Okay, what, what, what was it, right? Now, maybe, maybe you were a five or less. Okay, let's say maybe you were a two, okay? What I'm going to be praying over the course of this next few weeks is this. I'm going to be praying that just like he did at the beginning of the church, that the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way among his people here in his church and that he would move us, move every single one of us a notch or two closer, Okay? That he would take some of us from a, from a two or a three to a four or a five. That if you're a six man, that God would move you to an eight or a nine, right? That wherever you're at, that God's going to move you one step further towards being actively participating with God and others to help bring people one step closer to Jesus. That's what my hope is. I happen to believe that everything that God did in his word, everything he did in the Bible, everything he did on the day of Pentecost, God is still actively wanting to do those things today. That he is wanting to save the world with the message of Jesus Christ and his grace. And that he wants to use us to partner with him to make that happen. So I'm going to be praying that God will just move us. And you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to pray, God, make all of them Billy Graham's. You know why? Because he's not. That was Billy Graham's thing. And there's a few others out there. But you know what I am going to be praying? That he'll take you from a two to a three. That he'll take you from a three to a four. That he'll take you from a five to an eight. Okay, because could you imagine, just think about this for one moment with me. Could you imagine what it would mean for our church, for our community, and for the world if every single one of us moved up a notch or two on our partnership with God in this area of our lives? 
Could you imagine what would happen? It only took 12 guys to radically rock the world with the message of the gospel. What if every single one of us just moved up a notch or two? Don't you think that God would do amazing things with that? I do. And I'm going to be praying that God will do that. And that God will release us from the fear. God will release us from all that other junk that the devil throws our way. And that he will use us as we partner with him to help other people take one more step towards Jesus. And I believe powerful things will happen this year in our church if we will do that. And so the reality is is that, folks, we've been made for this. But the truth is, Jesus died for this. Jesus died so that people would come to faith in him. And in just a few minutes, as we do every week, we're going we're gonna to participate in the Lord's Supper. And this morning, what I'd like for you to do is as you take those emblems, the, the little cup of juice that represents Jesus' shed blood, and the little cracker that represents Jesus' broken body, and, and would you just take those for a minute, and, and, and before you take those, just hold on to those, And just look at them and say, Jesus did this for me. Jesus died for me. And then as you take those things, would you say this short prayer with me? That Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for me. To forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I want to better partner with you and other people to help others take one more step towards Jesus. To realize the glory of his grace that's reflected in Jesus giving his life for us. Would you do that this morning? I believe if we do this together as a church, God has amazing things in store for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word, Father. Lord, where would we be without it? And Father, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you that, Lord God, you you have invited us in to this participation. So, Father, I'm praying that, Lord God, you would help silence the voice of the enemy that tells us that we're not good enough, that we can't do this, that we're all alone, that we'll be failures, all these other things that will be rejected. God, would you silence the voice of the evil one that is trying to, to steal our attention away from you? And that God, with the same desire and passion that we have for you to save us, God, would you give us that same passion to partner with you and others to help people take one more step towards Jesus? Father, we we know that that is your desire. Father, help us. Help make it our desire too. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.